Would you join me as I pray? Gracious God and Father, we've just heard your word read to us. And I pray that you would help us not to run past that. That we would pause and consider that you are a speaking God. The God who has spoken the universe into existence is speaking and our ears are receiving it even now. By the power of your Spirit, would you work this word into our bones in the coming moments, that we would be men and women that so honor the image of God and one another that we would, we would root out seeds of, of violence and anger from our hearts and lives, that we would treat one another with respect and dignity, that you would restore unity to homes right now that are fractured, to relationships that are broken. We dare to believe that, God, your word is powerful and that, Holy Spirit, you are here. And towards that end, we come not just looking to learn something or to acquire a new fact or insight, but we come to be changed by your word. So for your glory and for our good, the invitation is that you would do just that. You're welcome in this place, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Many of you know I had the chance to travel quite a bit this summer with my family, an absolute gift. Our favorite place, or at least uh, near the top of the list, depending on which member of the family you ask, was a place called Mariposa Grove. Maybe you've heard of it. It's on the southern tip of Yosemite National Park. It's got some trees, and the trees are big. I actually brought a, a little family photo for you. Maybe you can't quite see. That's me. Now, I'm not like a huge guy. I'm 6'1", but that gives you a little sense. We discovered the panorama up on the old iPhone, and all of a sudden, we were just trying to capture a little bit of the perspective that we felt in walking through Mariposa Grove, standing at the, at the base of tree after tree, these sequoias, some of, some of whom have been standing there for over 1,700 years, some of the oldest living organisms on the planet. It felt like we were walking in sacred ground. As we strolled through this grove, there had been a storm over the last year, and so some had been toppled, and there were these enormous trees on the ground, and, and some still standing in all of their glory and all of their might. Uh, it was a sight to behold. Nearly as amazing as considering the scope and the scale of those trees is to consider this photo, because this is a sequoia seed. That's where each of those trees came from. Uh, that's a quarter if you can't quite make it out, and those are four seeds that are not together the size of the one quarter. Um, those seeds will become, those enormous trees, given very specific context. They need a particular climate, especially in the early days, a sequoia seed taking root. It doesn't happen easily, but it has to have just the right climate, just the right water and sun and it will grow into a little seedling that, given 1,700 years, will feel like it scrapes the sky. It's amazing to consider what a tiny little seed can do given the right context, the right space, the right oxygen to breathe, the right sunlight at the right moment. And as we continue to study the Sermon on the Mount, what we are going to feel the weight of, what we are going to step into and recognize together this morning 
is that Jesus is going to address laws that the people have known for quite some time and that in their minds stand tall like these big, impressive trees and they're able to go, well, gosh, my life has never sprouted anything that's that big. I've never so disobeyed the law of God that I've ever murdered anyone or ever committed adultery. But as Jesus... The divine teacher is going to, as he told us last week, fill the law up with all of its proper meaning. What he's going to say time and time again, and we're going to feel the weight of it together this morning, as he hasn't just come to, to fell trees, to cut down the enormous trees, he's come to root out the seeds. Because if we really love the law of God, Love it like he challenged us to last week if you were with us, saying even the dot and the iota, even the letters, cherishing them as coming from the heart of God himself. If we cherish the law of God like that, he's saying we won't always be judging ourselves against someone else who has a taller tree than us, but we will be urgent to root out the seed form of disobedience and rebellion against God. This morning, as he examines the sixth commandment, thou shalt not murder, what he's going to be pressing us to realize is this, that, that murder oaks grow from anger acorns, right? The seeds of violence that given time and space and oxygen and sunlight and water grow into things we never intended. And he's saying, don't wait for that day when it's taken root. Root out the seeds now without delay. And so towards that end, we're going to wrestle with what does it mean to root out the seeds of violence? without delay from our lives together as a community. I'm going to ask you to direct your attention back to the text with me. I don't want you to take my word for it. I want us to chart along with Jesus as he teaches us. And the first thing he's going to do for us is he's going to identify what are the seeds of violence. What are the seeds that if given space and time and oxygen in your soul grow up into murderous realities? What are those seeds? Look back at verse 21 and 22 with me. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not mur murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Let me just pause right there for a second. Verse 21, depending on which commentator you read, they have kind of a different view on how Jesus is interacting with the law in these verses. Some would say that Jesus is correcting the improper teaching of the Pharisees. And he, will, he may very well be doing that at different points, but I think it's helpful to note that most of what he says is not a misquotation of the Old Testament law that has been taught by the Pharisees. It's just a quotation of the law that here he is actually quoting from the Ten Commandments. He's, he's taking us to the Sixth Commandment. And actually even further back to Genesis 9, just after Noah survived the flood, God taught Noah and his family about murder and raised the stakes on the judgment that would come with it. That this has been on the heart of God because of the value of humanity since the beginning of the Bible, since the beginning of history. And so here's Jesus, what he is teaching when he says, you have heard these things said, he's actually teaching faithfully the law. And in verse 22, when he says, but I say to you, it's not that he's contradicting the law. But when he says, but I say to you, what you need to feel like a tidal wave, this should blow your hair back, that if you were a first century Jewish person, and he said, you've heard it said of old, right, that you shall not murder, but I say to you. First century Jewish listeners would feel like they just were blown back on their heels, like, what is Jesus doing here? 
he has just taken his followers up on a mountainside and he's saying, this is the law as you have heard it, but I say to you. He's setting himself up as the newer and the greater Moses. He's making it really clear that his is the voice that has the authoritative view on how God's law works in our world. Jesus, though meek and mild, is not embarrassed to claim the authority that is rightfully his. And what he says is, my voice matters than everyone else's as to how you view your ethical realities in the world. You've heard it said in the law of God this, but I say to you. And now what does he say in verse 22? That everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be liable to the council. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. You see, when, when Jesus begins to fill up the law with all of its meaning, what he is saying is this, that those towering trees of murder start as the seeds of anger, of violence towards one another. That he is actually saying that the reason murder has been upheld in the law of God from the beginning of time is because God so cherishes every individual. Every person on the planet today is a bearer of the image of God and precious in his sight. And so, to fill the law up with meaning is not just to say don't cut off life, but don't carry the seeds that demean the image of God in someone else. He's saying that's the intent of the law if we fill it up with all of its meaning. And he actually, it's almost as if he takes that seed in his hand and he's going to flip it over. He's going to examine it from two different sides. Side one, he says, did you, did you hear it in verse 22? He says, everyone who is angry with his brother. Now that word for anger is, is exactly what you might think it to be. This is like red-faced anger. This is voice-raised anger. This is name-calling anger. This is, this is, I am hot on the inside and I'm bubbling over and you're the recipient of it. He's going, that thing, if you carry that too close to you for too long, it'll burn you. That sort of anger, it will cost you. Whoever is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. At the outset, what we need to realize is that your red-faced anger, when you raise your voice and you exercise your will trying to threaten someone else or trying to strong-arm them, that is organically connected to murder. They're of the same fabric, Jesus says. So just before we flip that seed over with Jesus, just let me slow down and say, if that is you, Please don't minimize it. Jesus is not allowing us to minimize that. He is saying that some of us in our homes with our spouses are introducing murderous realities. That when we allow the fire in our chest to bubble over into spewing with names and anger and raising our voices, he's saying that is a home that has murder knocking at the door. We cannot be the sort of people that go, well, well, it's not really that. Jesus is going, yes, it is. I say to you with authority, beware the anger acorns grow into the murderous oaks. Beware you're smuggling it into your home. But then interestingly, he takes the seed of anger and he flips it over. And did you hear it in his, his 
the next two images or the next two statements that he gives us in verse 22. He says this, Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Some of you have a Bible in your lap. You may have a different translation where it says, you fool. Does anybody have something different there? This can actually be interactive. Anybody have something different there? (laughs) Depending on, uh, yeah, we're we're all rocking the ESV together. You've learned the ways. That's good. (laughs) I appreciate that. some Bibles just, they'll actually translate it with the actual word. It's a transliteration, raka. They'll say raka, which may raise the question like, wasn't that the interpreter's job to interpret the word for me? But the reason is because it's the only usage in the New Testament. There's not a direct translation, really. Um, the, the closest, it, it's, some have called it like empty-headed, moronic, but literally it just means nothing. It means empty So when he flips the the seat over, on one side he's going, you're red-faced anger calling names, but let's flip it over and let's talk about the other side of violence that you're smuggling in your chest. And you know what it is? It's treating someone like they're not worth your time. Dismissing them like they're nothing. He's saying that is equally organically connected to murder because it undercuts the image of God in another. Man, I did not want to read that, honestly. Because I'm like a nice guy. I'm just letting you in. Like, I'm a pretty nice guy. Um, anger is, I have lots of propensity towards sin. I am very flawed and very sinful. Anger is not my temptation. And I feel pretty good about that. And when I sat with Jesus this week, I realized that this is nice guy anger. This is, this is nice guy and nice girl murder. Where I'm not going to get red-faced and I'm not going to angry and I'm not going to spew at you. In fact, I'm not even going to give it another thought because you're not worth my time. And I, what, I, what I've realized is that our cultural moment is rife with temptation along these lines, is it not? Like vaccines or not vaccines... Masks or not masks, political leanings one way or another, there is this under. Agree with me? You're probably just ignorant. Like, you are so worried to go get a vaccine, or you're not going to get a vaccine, or you wear a mask everywhere, you don't wear a mask, you do this. And undercurrent is this temptation to smuggle into it and go, if you just had a little faith. Or, if you just read the facts, or, right, we've got this narrative that we smuggle in, and we may never say it out loud, we may never get red-faced and say, idiot, fool, moron, in fact, we don't even have to, because they're just nothing. You see, what Jesus is saying is this, there's two sides to this seed, and they're both related to murder. They're both saying, You, human being made in the image of God, not worth much in my eyes. You see, these are the the seeds of violence. It raises the question, where do you find yourself? Um, Jesus, without any apology, found me out this week. And then into that space and identifying those seeds... 
says, let me tell you how you're supposed to root out the seeds of violence. I've told you what they are. It's red-faced anger. It's this dismissiveness. Both sides of the same seed. So what are you supposed to do with it? And what he says is this. Deal with it urgently, without delay, like right now. Don't shrug. Don't make excuses. Don't go, well, it's not that big of a deal. He's going, this is a big deal and it needs to be dealt with right now. Look back with me. Verse 23 through the start of 25. I've, I've highlighted a few words for you just to help you feel the urgency in Jesus' words. He says this, So, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar. Go. First be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser. Over and over and over, what Jesus has just done, he's speaking to someone, it's kind of like if your house were on fire, you wouldn't have a conversation with your spouse or your kids, it's kind of like talking about the implications of fire and wondering what might happen. It's like, grab the fire extinguisher, get the hose, get out, get the baby out. Like, what Jesus is doing is he's just identified murder is living in you. And then he doesn't kind of him and haw and go, yeah, so let's talk about the implications of that. He goes, you need to do something now. This is devastating to your relationships and to your soul. This needs to be dealt with immediately. And interestingly, doesn't this beautiful thing that Jesus does, it's actually a plea to wholehearted and real worship. He situates it in the context of corporate worship. He says, if you're offering your gift at the altar... I love that he did that because the expectation, what he's saying is don't come in and play religious games. Don't come and think that, well, I, I sat in a church service. I went to a house church. I've committed to a community or I opened the Bible occasionally. I'm doing the, the mechanisms of being a person of faith. He's saying, listen, if you're coming, it is absolutely about the whole of your heart being engaged. If you've come to offer your, your offering, if you're about to take communion at the Lord's table after this time, if you're going to come before God and, and actually claim the body and the blood of Jesus as your covering, we better have paid honest attention to where our lives are in discord with what he has said to be true. He's going to come and worship with all of you and don't, don't pretend that this isn't the case. Deal with it urgency, urgently and allow the corporate gathering of believers, the week in and week out coming to the Lord's table, be an invitation to repentance. To saying, how did I speak that way this week to the person that I say I love the most? And then not humbly apologize. Like how have I maintained my defensive posture after spouting off with anger or being dismissive with the seeds of violence that are doing harm to people I love. And then I think I can waltz in and just take communion and be happy, smiley, and act like Jesus going, no, worship is an invitation to deal honestly with what's going on in your heart. Do it without delay. And did you hear what a high bar he just set for us? It's uncomfortable. If you actually pay attention to what he said, did you hear it? Look back, verse 23. If you are offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you. I read that over and over this week. 
I was trying to play out the actual scenarios, and the more I read it and the more I played them out, the more uncomfortable I became. What I realized is that Jesus had a full-out assault on my raka heart, the heart that wants to dismiss others, because the truth is there are some people in my life that have things against me. And as I was praying for them with the scriptures open, trying to sit under Jesus' authority, I, I wanted to say, well, gosh, I don't have anything against this person. I don't have anything against them. I'm past that. I've forgiven them for all the ways that I feel like they mistreated me and misrepresented me. I'm over that. I'm done with that. And I've tried, I've, I, you know, I've done my thing. And quite frankly, the thing they have against me, I don't think is anything at all. I think they misunderstood and it's not what I intended. And I was having this conversation with Jesus and then I'd come back and read the text again and it was like he was going, I don't care. Because your assumption that what they have against you isn't really anything and that you don't have anything against them is just your way of dismissing them. It's just your way of continuing to smuggle your raka dismissive heart into this. Jesus sets a much higher bar that called me to have to reach out to someone this week and said, I really love to buy you lunch because I need to go sit and listen and love and apologize. Those are the messages that I don't want to leave. Those are the, the relationships where I want to say, well, if they're going to continue to carry that burden, that's on them. But the truth is, in Romans 12, 18, we're called to live at peace with anyone that's within our possibility to do so. And if we haven't gone to the fullest extent, Jesus is going, you have work to do. You see, he set a very high bar for us in this text. He's saying, what are the seeds of violence? It's anger or it's dismissiveness. What are you supposed to do about that? You're supposed to root it out immediately. And that even applies to the person that has something against you that you would rather just move on because it's too painful. It's too painful to go back and to revisit that conversation. Well, why is he so urgent? Why is he treating it like the house is on fire? He finishes by explaining it. And I think what he's saying is this, that avoidance escalates things. It doesn't fix things. Avoidance escalates things. It doesn't fix things. He's saying if you let that seed take root, it will. It will build roots and it will soak up the water and it will grow into something that you never wanted to be in your life. It reminds me of, of years ago, I, I had some delayed dental work and I had a tooth that was kind of bothering me. I really needed to go see the dentist, but life was busy and I was like, it's fine, I, I can manage it for now. And I, I stretched that over a few weeks and then I woke up one morning and the whole side of my face was pulsing with pain that refused to be denied, you know? I was like, oh no, <laughs> I have pushed this too far. And my dentist was no longer available, but now it was like, I, I can't, no, I don't want an appointment next week. I need to see someone like before lunch, like now. So I'm calling all the emergency dental places because, because delaying does not fix, it only escalates the problem. Let me, let me show you how Jesus says that. Verse 25, he says, Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and then you get put in prison, and truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. When you avoid the seeds of violence in your heart, anger or dismissiveness, 
You avoid it. Keep pushing it aside. What begins to happen is that these, these murderous oaks start growing up around you. It happens in your marriage where it just starts becoming more and more bitter and frayed because you think, well, I don't, I'm done trying to deal with that. And if she's still carrying that, if he's still carrying that, that's not my deal. We start, it infiltrates the way that we deal with our kids, with our, our roommates. All of a sudden, home is a place that we don't really want to be. It happens at work with the boss or the coworker where that thing happened and we just think, I, I'm, not, I'm not dealing with that. And all of a sudden, what we realize is that growing up all around us is like ugly, murderous trees that start to hem us in. It's like a prison of our own making. It's like a hell on earth that has been created by the murder that we have smuggled in the demeaning of the image of God in every direction. And what Jesus is saying is that this will cost you. This will leave you in a dangerous place. And in order to feel the full weight of what he's saying, I think I just want to take us for a moment. Would you consider your most important relationship and put it in the rubric of what Jesus has just taught us? Your most crucial and central relationship, which incidentally is not with your roommate or your spouse, but is with God. And would you consider for a moment the rubric that Jesus has just built us and run your relationship with God through it? Because the truth is, every single one of us, we know scripturally and experientially, was born at enmity with God. We are God's enemies naturally. The reason? Because his law we receive as something that... that hems us in, that, that calls us to things that we wouldn't pick, that sets a standard for us that, quite frankly, it, it feels restrictive on our natural human soul. In our folly, we want to kick back against the ways and the Word of God. And, and we oftentimes respond in one of two ways. Some of us, with anger, go, God, I'm done with you. Leave me alone. No, I don't want to obey your standards in this area or that. Where were you when I was suffering? How dare you have responded in this way? And then you think you're going to get my allegiance? We, with red-faced anger, curse the name of God and say, I don't want him. And that may have been you. That may have been you, you this week. That may be you currently, and a friend has brought you here this morning if so, welcome. I'm so glad you're here, but please listen. That sort of posture allowed to remain in that relationship will destroy your soul literally. But on the other side is this dismissive nature that some of us smuggle in with our relationship with God. We're nice guys and nice girls, even as it relates to our relationship with God. And we may say, yeah, I'm in with God, but, you know, he has a lot to say about a lot of things, and I don't have time to pay attention to it all or to actually arrange my life. And isn't it pretty impractical, honestly, in today's landscape of the way that dating works and relationships work to honor God's sexual ethic? Or don't you realize the, the expense of living in the city and trying to manage my funds? Like God's call in my life towards generosity certainly doesn't apply to someone that's starting their career and living city center. That doesn't work, right? Like all of a sudden, what we start to say is, yes, God is the axis of the universe upon which all turns, but I'm going to treat his commands like a nice suggestion. Raka. 
Nothing. And here stands the glorious God of the universe going, you have been angry at me, you've dismissed me, and what I'm inviting you to do is come to terms quickly with your accuser. This is what Jesus says. Come to terms quickly with your accuser, but what you and I need to come to terms with is this. God is our accuser, and he's justified in his accusations. And we have no defense in ourselves. You see, when Jesus says, come to terms quickly with our accuser, what we realize is here I I stand condemned by the ways that I have mistreated and misrepresented God. And then I have done violence to his image all around me. And the way that I have spoken and treated or dismissed others who don't agree with me or haven't treated or responded to me in the ways that I want. And Jesus says, come to terms quickly with your accuser. Which leaves us with a final question, how? How do we come to terms with our accuser? And the beauty of the gospel that we rehearse week in and week out because it is the news that like leaky buckets we forget each week. We come to be filled up with the good news of this realization that Jesus and all of his kindness and his grace and his affection for you He stepped out of the glories of heaven to enter the grove of murderous trees looming all about. And in fact, he endured the murder tree. Surrounded by the accusations and the mistreatment, the the anger spewing on him. When he went to the cross at Calvary, he was enduring the full-grown reality of the murder tree. And he took it so that you don't have to. By simply placing your trust in him and allowing his love and his mercy to reorient you, what you realize is that he took the highest level possible. It said if your brother has something against you, Jesus only treated us with love and kindness. Yet, after paying the penalty for our sin, he went the extra mile and he extended the hand and he said, I am here to reconcile with you even though you don't deserve it. All that is mine can be yours if you will place your trust in my completed work. And when that sort of love and grace and mercy is meditated upon, is received, is celebrated, what it motivates in us is a commitment to root out the seeds of violence without delay. His love and his commitment to us so radically alters our lives that we say we want to be the extension of that in the world. So brothers and sisters with eyes set on the one who has paid the price for you, Root out the seeds of violence in your soul and do it immediately. Like some of you, it may be that you need to not take communion and go, until I have repented and gone and sought out this person, I'm going to leave my gift at the altar and I'm going to go make it right because I cannot be the sort of man or woman that smuggles murderous realities into my relationships any longer. Let me pray for us. So gracious God and Father, we live in a culture that is divided. Many of us live in homes that are divided. And this morning, what we have to come to terms with, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, right now you would make us come to terms with, is that we perpetuate the problem when we allow these seeds to take root in us. King Jesus 
our authoritative teacher, greater than Moses, our Savior who has rescued us from ourselves and from hell and from Satan. You have rescued us from death itself. I pray that we would prioritize your voice and that we would be men and women who root out violence. We root out the seeds of violence without delay. And I pray that what happens as a result, that we would be a unified family that loves and serves one another with with homes marked by your grace and your unity. Jesus, would you work that into us by your Spirit for your glory, for our joy. Amen.